we all ask questions. Why is the sky blue? What happened to all the dinosaurs? What was the best thing before sliced bread? But some questions are more important than others. How do I forgive someone even when I feel like I can't? What's my purpose in life? How can I be the parent God wants me to be and the one my kids need me to be? So where do we turn? To the one that has all the answers. We'll tackle some of life's most complex issues and discover God's best plan. Why? Because you asked for it. All right. You asked for it. All right. High five two people around you. Let them know you're happy they're here. Now let them know your favorite Halloween candy. Come on now. It's about that time. Y'all are so healthy. I didn't hear any. I didn't even hear Reese pumpkins. Come on. Even little Debbie Christmas tree cakes, don't that come out at Halloween too? No. All right, all right. Well, hey, I'm so happy that we're here today. Uh, we've been diving into this series here these past few weeks. We've got one more week, and you ask for it. And uh, then we're about to kick off this series called When the Devil Knocks. You like how I did that, right? That's good. I can't wait. I can't wait, guys. It's going to be so much fun. I'm so thankful for each and every person that's here in the house today. Uh, it's a uh, it's, uh, it's an amazing Sunday, guys. It's been an awesome week. Last week was an awesome week. We're going to continue in another awesome week this week. And, uh, you know, as we're diving in this series, we all have questions, right? Somebody does. Thank you. Somebody's got my back. Uh, apparently, we have all the answers. I can't wait. I've got questions after the service. If anybody wants to come to the garden and talk to me about it, that would be awesome. I snorted. That's awesome. Um, so we all have questions. Like I said, like, what's your favorite Halloween candy? I learned here that it's candy corn. It's because nobody else said anything else, right? Like, I learned that that's what it is. Like, we all have those questions like, you know, what in the world? Who did think of the Little Debbie Christmas tree cake? Are they a genius? Why is Reese pumpkins better than normal Reese cups? Like, why in the world do they only hold out for Reese pumpkins and Reese trees, right? Like, why are they so much better? Tough crowd. So we all have questions, but if we're honest in our walk with Jesus, we have questions too, and that's what we're diving into. So today we say it each and every week because we're going to have some scripture. If you're watching online, you're going to be able to follow online. If you're watching at live.thevine.tv, click over to the Bible tab. But more importantly, if you're in God's house, you need a Bible, we'll get you a free one, or even better, if you've got the Bible app on your phone, we have a great way that you can follow us online. And we're actually going to pull that up and show you how to do that. We do it each and every week, and we're going to do it till it catches on. Because we believe there's something special there. Because you can take personal notes. You can connect with us. So here's what you got to do. you got to open up your phone. And you're going to go to the Bible app. You click it right there. And then you're going to click the More tab. Now, when you click the More tab, you're going to make sure you click Events. you got to have your location services on, okay? So when you have location services on, you're going to be able to find the Vine worship experience. Uh, you're going to get to hang out with us. When you click that, it's going to tell you how to connect with us, how we can pray for you, how we can do anything with you. It's going to give you series info, but more importantly, it's going to give you the scripture. And the reason that we do that is we don't want you worried about fumbling through scripture. We want you to hear what God's trying to tell you to do today. Sometimes you worry about if, you're not, if your neighbor gets there faster, right? Like, doesn't that get confusing, get all frustrating? So we want to make sure that we don't have to do that, and we eliminate that roadblock and that barrier. So if you've got that on your phone, you can go ahead and set that up, because today we're diving into this question that we all have been asking as I took the stage. How do I deal with difficult people as people throw tomatoes at me right now from a long way away? How do I deal with difficult people? Now, sometimes we talk about this a lot, like we can talk about these things, but if I'm completely honest with you, here's some, some, some characteristics of some people I know, and we're going to talk about four different types of people today, and here's what I want you to do, okay? 
Maybe you're one of these difficult people. Ask God what he would show you in that. Maybe you're dealing with only one of these four types of difficult people. Ask God what he would have you do about that. So if you don't get anything out of today, you might only hear about one person out of these four. Ask God what he would have you to do with that, okay? So we're going to talk about four difficult people today. Four. So if I could have the four difficult people come to stage, please, I could... I'm just, I'm just kidding. That's it. That's it. So here's the thing about difficult people in our life. Don't they just suck the life out of us, if I'm completely honest? This is why we kicked off going into October with it. Almost like a vampire. Like They just take the complete life out of us when we're dealing with difficult people. Some are really needy. Some are very hypocritical. Some are just critics. And some of them just tear us down in any way they can by the way that they manipulate us. Am I right? Does anybody have that in their life? Is anybody that in their life? <laughs> I kept my hand up because I know I can't be some, especially when I want some macaroni and cheese or something. I can be straight up manipulative. It'll be what it'll be. I'll be needy, right? So now here's the thing. Here's the thing. We know the Bible talks about it, and we said it even in the welcome. We are called to love God and, hey, we got 100% on that one, love others. So how in the world do we deal with these difficult people? Because we're called to love them. So what does the Bible say about that? So that's what we're going to dive into today is we're going to dive into some needy people and what the Bible has to say about this. Okay, so if you've got your Bible and you do want to stay one place in your Bible, if you're following along, because we're going to start the message with this and end the message with this, is Ephesians chapter 3, Ephesians chapter 3. And this is going to lead up to a famous verse that most of us know, okay? So Ephesians chapter 3, we're going to be starting in verse 14 and going to verse 21, Ephesians verse 14 and going to verse 21 and I want us to keep this perspective as we talk about these people today and who we are here for this reason I kneel before the father from whom every family family so how many of us have difficult people in our family right how many people how many of us are the difficult person in our family <laughs> it is what it is right like we all have different now here's the thing about my family I tell you what we can talk trash about our family, but if you do, we're going to throw down. You know what I mean? Like, that's what it is. And I love right here the writer of Ephesians is talking about that. He's, he's telling us that we're all family. Remember this. We are all family. We're all in the family of God. And what it is is he says here, from, every, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with the power through his spirit and your inner being. Now, don't be freaked out about that. He's just saying, hey, the Holy Spirit inside of you gives you strength so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. We know all this is dependent on Jesus being the center of our life. We know all this is being dependent on whether Jesus is our Lord and Savior. It's all about him. So whenever to really be a part of the family, to be a part of experience, strength, and power of the Holy Spirit in our life, we have to have Christ at the center of our hearts. And it says this. This is my favorite part. So if you're you, you don't have to highlight this because I'm telling you to, but I can tell you I've got this highlighted in my Bible and I'm highlighted in my notes. It's my favorite part of this. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in what? Love. So when we deal with those difficult people, we got to be rooted and established in love. Hey, at Divine Church, we talk about connecting people to the source that gives them life, the one that will change their life, their community, and the entire world, a life connected to Jesus. When you're connected to Jesus, we're called the vine church. What does a vine have? Roots. We've got to be rooted in him. And that root grows out and shows in how we love. So I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people. So everybody that's in this house, the church of God, we got power together, guys. We're going to do something together. 
And here's the other second favorite part of this, and it always blows my mind. We've, we, we've sang about it so greatly from the vine worship this morning. It was awesome. And it's this, that we may grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. We can only grasp it when we come together, you guys. Difficult people and all. Difficult people and all. We can only grasp the love of God when we come together. And to know that this love surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with a measure of all fullness of God. So when we come together, we get to be filled with a measure of all fullness of God. And we show that to the world on how we love each other. And we can only love each other if we have Christ as our Savior. We can only have power if the Holy Spirit is in us. And that comes through Jesus Christ being our Savior. So this is the one that we know so, so much, so well, this verse that gets quoted so often. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him... Be the glory in the church in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Y'all have a great day. We'll see what we can do. That should be enough. If that don't speak to you, I don't know what will. I'm telling you right now, that gets me excited. I think about the height, the depth, and I think about how wide and how deep and how high and how long the love of Jesus is. Does that not get you fired up to think about how much Jesus loves you? Like, you can only figure that out in your life if you're in the body of Christ, to experience it, even through difficult people. So that person that's so difficult in your life, believe it or not, you may be walking closer to Jesus by being in your life. Can you believe that? So what does the Bible tell us to do about these difficult people, and how can we continue to follow God and love well? The first person that we have in our life is the controller. How many folks had a Nintendo growing up, an NES? Yes, I'm that old. How many folks still want that NES, right? Come on, Duck Hunt. It is what it is. It is what it is. Hey, cheap tip on Duck Hunt. Take the player two, and you can actually control the duck on the other side. Just FYI, so if you ever want to cheat your friends. I don't know if you knew that or not, but that's good time. So if you ever play Duck Hunt, one has the trigger. Get the player two, and you can control the duck, and you're going to make your friends mad and hate you forever. But it's all right. You'll win. It's all about winning, right? So that controller in your life, I, I say maybe you didn't have a Nintendo, but that controller was so important. It didn't work without it, did it? You couldn't use your Nintendo without the controller. Hey, go home and maybe, I, <laughs> I have to be careful, Hilker's technology is so great now, I know. We just, Alexa or Siri, turn on this and that, right? Like, go home and try to use your TV without the remote. It's no good, is it? The controller matters so much. But here's the thing that happens. The controller only works if you give it power. You got to have batteries in that controller to work, right? So when we've got a controller in our life, we've got to understand the one thing that every controller has in common is someone who's, who allows it. So if you've got somebody in your life that's a controller, you're the batteries to give them power to control you. I hope you understand that. So if you're dealing with this difficult person in your life, I want you to know that it's important to understand that you can stop giving them power. Okay? That's up to you. Not up to them. You're the one who's allowing it. And that's hard. So we're going to talk about how to deal with that because here's the thing. We can get caught up and be like, well, Jesus didn't have to deal with a controller. Let me tell you one of the greatest controllers Jesus had to deal with. It comes from Matthew 16, and it says this. Jesus talks about this, and then we're going to talk about what the Bible says about this controller. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the deacons, 
Uh, praise God. I'm just, if you, I'm, I'm going out. Praise God. We don't have, anyway. Uh, the elders, he's suffering many things at the hands of the elders. Like what color the candles are going to be in the, in the Christmas series. All that crazy good stuff. We don't have to worry about that, right? Praise God and amen. He's saying that he's going to suffer at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, that he must be killed on the third day and raised to life. Awesome. We know that's who Jesus is. We know he's our savior. That's great. But let's look at the controller in his life. Good old Peter. Old Peter. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him and said, Never, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to him, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concern of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciples must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. The controller. The controller. Peter is the controller here. Peter is trying to control Jesus and say, Jesus, you need to be who I want you to be. You are the Lord and Savior, but you're going to be the one that brings the Jewish nation back and defeat Rome and do all these great things. And, and you know what? I'm going to get to sit in heaven at your right hand and do all these crazy things. He didn't know that he's going to be waiting at the gate for us later, right? Like he doesn't know all this stuff. So he's telling Jesus what he thinks he should be. And I want you to know the control freak in your life is going to tell you what they think you should be, not who God made you to be. There are two things that the controller holds in your life. Two things. So if you're taking notes, you're, you're going to have this. So we're going to have this with each person. Like I said, I'm just praying God will open your eyes to whatever it is you would have there. Two things the, control, the controller has in your life. The two weapons they use are threats and guilt. Threats and guilt. So the controller, you're going to probably see this. It's going to say the controller. We're going to talk about this. Prayer. Threats and guilt. If you want to know if you have a controller in your life, Listen to these key phrases. Here's how they'll threaten you. Do it or you'll regret it. Perform or I'll punish you. That's how they'll threaten you. Perform or I'll punish you. Like, you know, when you're trying to change the channel on that remote and it doesn't change, so you throw it across the room, <laughs> perform or I'll punish you, right? Or the Nintendo controller doesn't work because it's the controller's fault. You got beat at Tecmo Super Bowl, right? Like, right? Like, perform or I'll punish you. Do it or you'll regret it. Here's how they'll get you. And this is a key phrase. And this is maybe, maybe God's opening your eyes to see that you're a control freak right now. After all I've done for you, this is how you treat me? Pin drop, right? Hey, man, I thought we were close, but obviously I can't count on you for anything. That's what the control freak will do in your life. Now, I can tell you, I struggle with being a control freak. I struggle with being the controller. I can tell you that in my entire life. I, I, I'm a driven person. I'm a determined person. So I like having control. Because then I got nobody to blame but the person in the mirror if I mess up. And sometimes that's a beautiful gift. But when it involves other people, it's a terrible, terrible sin. And so I will tell you, the controller in your life will threaten you and will try to guilt you into being what they think you should be into what, instead of what God made you to be. And when you give them the batteries and you give them the power to control you, oh, they'll manipulate you all day long. And they'll keep controlling you until you stop giving them the power to. So how do we deal with this controller in our life? Let's look at what Jesus did. We gotta know what God has called us to. Jesus just told Peter, he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. So we've got to know what God has called us to. We've got to know what God has called us to. Jesus knows what God has called him to. 
As he's going to the cross, he prays, not my will, Lord, but yours, right? If this cup could pass over me, let it pass, but not my will, Father, yours. So here's the thing about Peter I want you to know about this control freak that, that I, I sound like I'm bashing Peter. I'm not. I've been called Peter in so many ways in my life, it's not even funny. Like, Peter just said, you are the son of God. And the verses before that in Matthew 16. And then the very next sentence, <laughs> he's messing up. He's messing up, right? He's messing up. So what Jesus knows is he knows what he's called you. I want you to know your calling in your life will give you clarity. And if you struggle with what your calling is, love God and love others. Don't worry about anything else. The rest will take shape. The rest will take shape. Not everybody's meant to be a preacher. Not everybody's meant to be a teacher. Not everybody's meant to be, to be out front greeting. Not everybody's meant to cook all the time. Not everybody's meant to sing. God help, sound like a dog barking if I was up here. So, like, that's just how it is. That's how it is. But when you know what you're called to do, that controller has no control of your life. Because when Peter brought him aside to rebuke him, what's the first thing Jesus said? Get behind me, Satan. So if you got a controller in your life, don't point at them. Don't point at them today. It's messed up if they are. Just tell them, get behind me, Satan. Right when, they, right when they start controlling you, just drop that phrase. I promise you some things will change. Either that or you'll get a new friend. But either way, it'll be worthwhile if you're dealing with a controller in your life. So the first thing that you can do is know what God's called you to. The second thing that you can do with a controller when they're throwing these threats and guilt at you is know when to draw the line on the, in the sand. So if you've got a controller in your life or you realize you're a controller, two things you've got to know. Know what God's called you to and know when to draw the line in the sand. Because here's the thing. Here's the thing. Peter brought Jesus to the side. Now, we're going to talk about how that matters later in our life. He brought Jesus to the side, but he rebuked him. He didn't try to say, hey, Jesus, I, don't, I didn't understand what you meant by saying you were going to die and raise again on the third day. It's kind of weird. Like, we've heard about Elijah and Elisha raising people from the dead and you know, it's just something that's weird about this. I, I don't know. Like, I just need understanding. No, no, no. He said, never. You're not going to do this. Like, you're not going to do this. Jesus, like, he rebuked him. So sometimes that controller in your life, you got to keep at arm's reach. Because they're going to try to guilt you and isolate you from your friends and the Christian community you have to do what they want you to do instead of what God's called you to do. So you got to know when to draw that line in the sand. And here's the thing, here's the thing. It's the hardest thing in the world. Because when you draw that line in the sand, it isn't because you don't like the person. It isn't because you hate the person. It's actually because you love them. Because imagine if Jesus bought into peer pressure right there. None of us would have a way to salvation. None of us. If he just said, eh, you know what, Peter, you're right. You're pretty cool. You fish really cool. You're a good guy. You say some cool things, you're kind of bold, you're kind of brash, you're kind of edgy. I like you. Let's do it. We would be messed up. We wouldn't have a way. But yet Jesus knew what God made him for and knew what God called him to, and it gave him clarity. And so he drew the line in the sand and said, get behind me, Satan. Do that with the controller in your life. If you are the controller, get ready for somebody to say, get behind me, Satan, a little bit later today. Uh, sorry, marriages. It explains probably why I'm not. But uh, so, husbands and wives only do it once. You get a free pass one time probably, and you can blame it on the pastor. So I just want to tell you this week, if you're dealing with a control freak in your life, know that. But understand when you draw that, heart, that, that line in the sand, it is going to be hard. But when you draw that line in the sand too, you're reminding them that you're not in control and God is. Hey, I'm drawing this line in the sand and I'm keeping you arms, arms reached because Jesus is my savior. Jesus is my rescuer. Jesus is who guides the steps of my life, not you. 
And there's nothing wrong with that. I don't mean you got to be a jerk about it. It just means you got to be honest. And when you do that with truth and grace, that controller is going to back off and they're going to get rid of you. So when you're dealing with a controller, don't be the batteries, okay? Don't be the batteries. Don't give them power. Don't give them the power of your life. The only thing that should have control of your life is your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Nothing else. Everything else falls in line when you do that. So that's the first person. We hanging in here? Awesome. Awesome. People are getting some good notes about the controller. See, that was the controller tactic in me. I was just asking you. See how it is? See how it is? That's that controller in me. That's what I do. So the second one, the second one, the critic. How many people know the critic? No one. Awesome. They have the spiritual gift of fault finding, if that helps you. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, they could have had hot and now donuts, and they wouldn't have been good enough. The glaze was just not right, which, by the way, those were awesome this morning. Uh, the hot and now donuts that we got to have and hang out with as we did that this morning. Or, or maybe the fruit salad didn't have enough sugar in it. It was good, but I've had better. Womp, womp. Like, I, I think of the Saturday Night Live sketch. Rachel Dretz used to do this sketch where she would talk about this, and she would, like, one-up some terrible things, and it would just be like, womp, womp. Like, she would just do this. It would be terrible, terrible. The critic in your life. All of us face critics. I want you to know that Aristotle wrote it this way. To avoid criticism, here, here you go. If you're ready to avoid criticism in your life, are you ready? You ready? This is so important if you want to avoid criticism. Do nothing, say nothing, and be nothing. Do nothing, say nothing, and be nothing. I'm pretty sure Jesus didn't die on a bloodstained cross for me to be nothing. I don't know about you, but I'm pretty sure he died for me to be something, that he created me to be something, that I'm here on purpose, with a purpose, for a purpose, not nothing. So if you're worried about the critic in your life, I'm going to set you free today because Jesus is in your life. Don't worry about the critic in your life because so many times in our life, those people that find fault with us, they're actually just hurting themselves. A lot of times they'll project their hurt onto you. So I want you to know if you're the critic or you're dealing with the critic, it's okay. We all do. Hey, I want to tell you, even the vine, we face critics. Hey, I will tell you, what convention are you part of? We ain't part of one. Uh, the one that loads in and loads out on Sunday and hangs out on, on Thursday nights and just do life together. That's the convention. What church planning network are you on? Uh, the gospel one, the Jesus one, where we just prayed to him and stepped out in faith. That's the one that we're part of. Hey, so what is it that you do? What's your strategy? Uh, love God and love others. I mean, there's a, that's what it is. Hey, what's your target demographic? Uh, everyone. Like, you know, we have critics in our life. That, like some people will say, hey, you know what? Like, I don't like the pastor because he's really not that funny. Uh, or they may just say, hey, the gospel you preach isn't exactly the way it'd be. And I want to tell you, hey, we preach Christ and Christ crucified every week. And that will never change. There's never going to be a person that holds this microphone that stands up here that will preach any different. And I'm not ashamed of that. I'm not afraid of that. We'll always be there but I'm not going to give in to the critics in my life or the critics of our church or the critics of each and every one of us just because they want to find fault with things believe it or not Jesus has taught me in my walk that the critic is usually just hurting themselves and there's something deeper going on and how I get to love them how I get to love them is when I get to love them I just get to find out what that is right I just get to find out what that is so let's talk about some critics in life, and let's talk about what that looks like. If, you, if you're following along, Romans 14, verse 10 through 13 says it this way. You then, why do you, you then, that was my English accent, I guess that was the best I had. You then, that was the New King James NIV version, it is what it is. Uh, you then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Why do you tear them down with contempt? Hey, if you're the critic right now, understand, this is, this is rough. There's difference in a critic and a coach, okay? A coach will build you back up. A critic will always try to rip you apart. Why do you treat them with contempt? 
for we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God. So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind to not put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. When you're a critic in someone's life, you're a stumbling block. That stinks, right? I will tell you, when I pray, I, I got so much I pray for y'all. <laughs> I pray for, but I pray that I wouldn't be a stumbling block for someone else. Because to me, that's, that, that, that's the thing that hurts the most, is to know that I'm a stumbling block. And I'm not perfect. I don't have it all together. But I pray that Jesus would mold me to be the man he's made me to be in him, to not be a stumbling block for others to see him more clearly. So if you're dealing with a critic in your life or you are the critic, I want you to know you're a stumbling block if you're not pointing people to Jesus in all that you say and do. I don't mean you're perfect. Hey, I'll stand up here and tell you where I'm not perfect and say, hey, this is where Jesus is working on me. This is what he's working in me. So if you're the critic or you're dealing with the critic, how in the world do you respond to this? <laughs> it's gonna be real. Don't respond. <laughs> Number one, don't respond. If you're dealing with a critic in your life, don't respond. Jesus stood up on a blood-stained cross and people were mocking him. Did he have to respond? Only thing he said is forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. He didn't respond to them. Hey, he even had two criminals on either side of him. One said, you're an idiot, you're a fool. The other said, remember me in paradise. Did he tear them down for being criminals? No, he just didn't respond. So sometimes in your life when the critic's there, don't respond. Now, just because you don't respond doesn't mean it didn't happen. Jesus still died on the cross. It still happened. People still ridiculed him, but it just means that you're not letting it have power in your life. You're not letting it be a stumbling block in your life. So when you've got a critic in your life, Maybe you just don't need to respond. Ask Jesus what he would have you do. Don't respond. Hey, maybe you need to just respond carefully. So either you don't respond or you respond carefully. And what I mean by that is you prayerfully consider and ask God how you would respond. Because sometimes in your life, critique happens. The critic's going to come after you. And I know that in my life, in my life, for real, in my life, whenever my emotions are high, my wisdom's pretty low. I don't know about you. Maybe you have it together that way, and maybe it works out for you, but when my emotions are high, my wisdom's pretty low. And maybe that's true for you. And when my wisdom's low, I know the source of my wisdom is Christ and Christ Jesus, so I've got to go to prayer and say, Jesus, how would you have me respond to this critic? Maybe it's not a tweet. <laughs> it's, not a, it's not a direct message. It's, it's, not, it's not clapping back at people. It's not calling them back. It's not doing all this crazy stuff. Maybe I just have to pull them aside and respond to them the correct way. So if you are dealing with a critic in your life, maybe you don't respond, you respond carefully, or here you go, here's the hardest part. You listen and make a change. I know I was gonna hit you with that one, huh? You listen and make a change. Sometimes the biggest critic in your life is actually the biggest coach in your life, and they're the biggest cheerleader in your life. And maybe, maybe they see something in you better than you can see in yourself. Sometimes I remember it's the hardest teachers in my life that I probably remember the most. I mean, I always got along with them, but I remember them the most. And maybe they saw something in you that's better. So sometimes that critic is the one who has so much compassion for you that they're willing to tell you the truth. Now, there's a way that they can do that the correct way. Maybe they're just too brash and they can't do it the right way. Or maybe they just love you enough and they're so passionate that they're telling it to you in love and you just don't see it that way. I know in my life, sometimes I just gotta look in the mirror and say, 
Jesus, where do I need to change? <laughs> this person's saying this about me constantly. Is this you trying to talk through them to me, or is this them just trying to tear me down? And he'll give you wisdom in that. Maybe, maybe the change you make may not be your change. The change could be to cut them out, block them on your phone, block them out of your life, block them on your social media, block them out. Maybe that's the change you need to make. But I want to tell you, sometimes you got to listen to the critic and make a change. If you see that it's not from Jesus and they're continually tearing you down, the change you need to make is get them out of your life. Cut them out because it's cancer. But if it's worthwhile, ask Jesus how he would have you change. To help the critic, I always want to be known as the guy who looks for the good and believes the best. I wish I could tell you I was perfect at that, but I'm not. When I'm dealing with a critic in my life, I always, always want to believe the best and always want to look for the good. Most of the time, I know when somebody's giving me criticism, they may be hurting. And I believe the best. The believe the best part says maybe I am doing something wrong. But if I keep getting it and I continue to get it and I continue to get it and I continue to get it, that's when some changes need to be made. All right? You hanging in here with me? We've got the, the fault finder and the controller. Here we go. We're almost there. The needy. We've got two more. The needy. How many people know the needy in their life? A few. Let me tell you about the needy. <laughs> so as a pastor, I will tell you, uh, sometimes uh, Jesus has shown me some things in my life that he is continuing to work on, but sometimes continually walking through next steps with people, I'm not always the best at if they're, con if they're stuck. If somebody tells me six weeks in a row they have a porn addiction and I'm trying to help them and they've made no changes, I may or may not be angry. Uh, that's just for me. I'm, I'm trying. Jesus is growing me in that. So this needy person you have in their life, it's always going to be a long conversation. It's always going to take forever. And they're always just going to drain you. Like, these are the people in your life that... Your battery was 100%, you know, and you, your brightness level was all the way up on your iPhone and, or your, your Android, and all of a sudden, it's zero, like real quick, like real quick. It needs a recharge. So let me tell you about this person. The needy person in your life believes if I'm loud enough, long enough, someone will hear me. If I'm loud enough, long enough, someone will hear me. Maybe you have that in your life. Hey, I always think of it this way, and it's in a pot shot, because I love children that are in our Vine Kids ministry, but a two-year-old is needy. A one-year-old is needy. They are needy. They're needy people. Don't bash them for being needy. They can't change themselves. Like, they're needy. They're loud enough, long enough. They don't care what time it is. When they need a diaper change, they need that. But, but when they're 45 years old and they don't need their diaper change and they're loud enough, long enough, then maybe they're just a needy person. So maybe you're dealing with that person in your life. So what does the Bible say about that? Believe it or not, Peter and John came into contact with this needy person in Acts 3. I love this story. This is an awesome story, awesome story. Acts 3, verse 3 through 7 says this. When, when he saw Peter and John about to enter, here's what, what did the needy person ask for? He asked for money. You know them people in your life. Don't lie. It usually does go there, don't it? It's usually money. And it's usually the last time they're going to need it, right? They've said that the last time, the past 12 times. It's not the last time they need needy person a lot of times. I can tell you personal experience. That's how it goes. They ask for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. You think they're going to be ready to drop bombs on him, right? They're going to get it. Then Peter said, look at us. 
Peter's probably, you know, he's not dressed in a five-piece suit. His, he's not got like bedazzled sandals on. Like he doesn't have all this crazy stuff on. Like he doesn't have this Gucci sandals, ultra expensive. Like, he, you know, he don't have the turnover chain on, whatever it is. Like he don't have those things in his life. He's saying, look at us. You're asking us for money? So the man gave him his attention. That's what the needy person will do. Look at me. Oh, somebody heard me. Somebody heard me. I was loud enough long enough, so somebody heard me. And he says to the man, and they, he looked at him expecting to get some. And then Peter said to him, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand. We've talked about this before in a Thursday night greenhouse gathering. You can go back and look at that. It's an awesome story, by the way. He helped him up. And what happened to the man? Instantly, the man's feet and ankles became strong. I wonder how much money it would have taken for that man's feet and ankles to be strong. I wonder how much, if, if Peter gave him the shirt off his back constantly, gave him the sandals and shoes off his feet, I wonder if that would have made the man's legs work. But instead, he gave to him what he had. So here's what I want to tell you when you're dealing with a needy person in your life and you want to honor God. Number one, if you're that person or you've got this person in your life and you're taking notes, we give and serve obediently. We give and serve obediently. And here's what I mean, here's what I mean. Think about this with Peter and John. They saw five loaves and two fish multiplied. They saw that. They, 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 they've seen Jesus murdered on a cross and rise again on the third day. They've seen that. They've seen him ascend into heaven. They've seen him, they were part of the transfiguration on the mountain. Like they were, they were with Jesus. They were a part of, they saw him raise Lazarus from death to life. Like they were with him. So do you think that if they had a dollar in their pocket, they didn't think he could multiply it if they gave it to the man? They probably did. I know I would have. But you see, that was a feel-good moment. When you're dealing with a needy person, that's sometimes what we want to feel good. That's what we do. We throw some change out. We'll throw them a 20 at the red light, right? Like, we'll throw them just what makes us feel good. Or the ASPCA commercial comes on, and the dog's on there, and we hear in the arms of the angel, and we start crying, or we see the whales flipping. Like, it just breaks our heart. Like, we see these, these mistreated animals, right? Like, we see something like that. Like, we give emotionally. But that, no, no, no. The needy person will always play on your emotions. They'll always tear your emotions apart. That's how they'll plead. That's how they'll get in there. I get that, because they know if they can make you make an emotional decision, it's probably not following Jesus. So we give and serve obediently with this person who is needy. We don't enable them. Like Peter looks here and says, hey, I'm giving you the right, my right hand, but what I gave you first is the name of Jesus. So if you're looking at that scripture on your phone or in your Bible, in Acts 3, he says we give and serve obediently. He's sitting there saying, look at us. And the man thought he was going to get some of the silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have, I give you. You know, when you have the power of the Holy Spirit inside of you and you have Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you can share love for others freely. You can share Jesus with others freely. Don't cost you a dime. I don't know if you know that. It's absolutely free. It's exactly what Peter and John did with this needy person. And when he gave it to him, he gave him something better than money could buy. So I wonder how many times we're in our life that we th think that our $20 is all that matters. What if Jesus had something else planned for that $20 for you in your life? Have you ever thought of it that way? But your emotional decision gave it to this person. I'm not saying Jesus can't bless it. Hear me out here. But what if Jesus had a different plan for that, but you were disobedient and taking your own plan and your own emotional control to help this needy person? You actually enabled them. You know what happened? You became their savior, not Jesus. And the needy person will continue to go to you that way. 
because you're their savior. And what you're actually doing is preventing them from experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit and the love of God because you want to feel good. That's not what God made you to do. It's just not. And I know that's a hard truth and that's a difficult truth for a difficult person, but I can tell you from life experience with needy person, I can tell you, it's not what you want for your life. It will only lead to destruction for you and them because not only are you robbing them the blessing of God, you're robbing yourself the plans that God has for you by doing that. So here's what I've equated it to, and this is what I would tell you to live and and to give and serve obedience. We'll talk about how the vine does this. We talk about it every week. God's so faithful. But I always think of it like, you know, okay, so it's gonna be terrible, but hang in here with me. We're chilling on the plane. You know, we're ready. We hit some turbulence. And all of a sudden, the oxygen mask popped down. What's the first thing they tell you you got to do? Put on your mask, right? You know what the needy person will do? They'll make you put on their mask. They'll take your mask and make you go run to get somebody else's to put it on them. And once you look, and if you fight and buy into this needy person and you try to be the savior in every situation, you'll have everyone on the plane covered. And it's going down. You got nothing. But here's what happens when we have to deal with a needy person and what I've understood Jesus places people in our life for a purpose. There are gonna be times that needy people come into my life as part of ministry. I love that. That's why I'm thankful that Jesus does that because somebody saw me as a needy person one day and decided to invest in me, right? But here's what happens. It drains me. I have to go get refreshed. I've gotta go put my oxygen mask on, which means I have to go spend time with Jesus first before I can pour it out to everyone else. So if you're dealing with a needy person in your life, you better have a strong quiet time. You better have strong Christian community. You better step into Thursday night. You better step into it somewhere because you're gonna need that recharge. You better come hang out with us a little bit early and have some fellowship. You need that recharge when you're dealing with needy people because what ends up happening is you get so drained that you can't give anything. You're so worn out and spent that you can't give anything. So if you're dealing with a needy person in your life, make sure that you're giving and serving obediently. And the last thing that you, the second thing you deal with is you trust God completely with it. You give and serve obediently and you trust God completely. There are times that I pulled up at the red light and God said, give them the $20 in your wallet. And I know that sounds crazy and that's okay. I trust God completely. I don't care what they do with that. If they go, if they go by what their addiction feels, that's up to them and God. I'm just trusting him completely to do with it what he intended. That's not my job. It's not my job to be the rescuer. It's not my job to be the savior. It's my job to love them. And so many times in our life, when we have needy people in our life, we try to be the savior. Because it feels good, don't it? It feels good to be somebody's savior. It puts you on a pedestal. The problem is, you can't sustain that. Neither can I. But the needy person will make you do it. And if they're manipulative, once you're not on that pedestal, they'll move on to somebody else. It's just what needy people do. That man was sitting at that gate for a long time. He couldn't walk his, his whole life, and all of a sudden, he's been begging his whole life. And Peter and John come walking in the room. Do you think if they would have gave him money that he would have even cared who Peter and John was the next day? Probably wouldn't even noticed them. But yet he said, what I do give you is Christ Jesus. And with that, his life was changed. So what if you gave the needy person what they really need, and that's Christ Jesus? Let me tell you what the vine does. The vine gives obediently every week. That's why I don't, or every month, every week, and everything that we do, we pray and trust God for it. We don't, that's why you don't hear me come up here and preach out of compulsion, tell you I don't have a thermometer where we have a dollar figure we're working towards. I don't do that. I don't believe in that. I believe that God moves in hearts, and he's showing you how to do things. And it's my job to point you to him. 
Every month we talk about this. 10% of all tithes and offerings received go to the local church around the world. 5% of all tithes and offerings received monthly goes to a gospel-centered nonprofit. We sow into the local church around the world. We sow into global missions every month out of obedience. This is why I bring that up, this up. It would be really easy when disasters strike for us to be the church that writes the million-dollar check. We can't just yet. We're working on it. Just yet. We're going to get there. We're working on it. But if we decided to go in debt, we're a debt-free church, by the way. We will always be a debt-free church. God never called us to go into debt for something that he's called us to. It's just not who we are. We don't go in debt. It would have been great for us to write a, church, write a check, drain the bank account, say it goes to this. It would have been a great cause, right? But that's not our part in the body right now. The church down the road could do that freely, and God's called them to do it freely and play their part in the body. And when they play their part in the body and we play our part in the body of Christ, my goodness, the things we get to do. So much so that we've got to see over $33,000 given and, and global missions around the world inside of our church, inside of this church, a church plant that came from not a church network, not from seed money, just people stepping out on faith. So we see the needy in our community. We see the need to help people but we do it obediently, not out of compulsion and emotion because we're playing our part in the body. And I want you to know in your life, when you try to step in and be someone else's part of the body, you're robbing them and yourself. So if you've got a needy person in your life, don't be their savior. As a matter of fact, I've had needy people in my life I've had to cut out because they've, they've seen they've drained my battery. <laughs> and that's okay. That's okay. We don't hear about this guy after Peter and John talks with him much longer. I mean, he goes in the synagogue, he does things, but we don't hear from him after that because Peter and John did what they were called to do. They showed him Jesus. So I want you to know, got that needy person in your life. Give and serve obediently. Trust God completely. Last thing I want to tell you about this. Sometimes when we, we're, uh, really important, when we see that people are projects in our life, we forget to love them. And so if we're dealing with a needy person, maybe we don't see people with love, but we see them as projects. And that's what will tear us up. Because people aren't projects to be fixed. They're made to be loved. They're made to be loved. And it's insulting and dangerous to me when I think that I can be everyone's savior. It sure does paint God in a corner, and it sure does make him small if I'm bigger than him. <laughs> that ain't the place I want to be. That's where Satan was right before he got kicked out, right? Last person. We're getting there. Hang in here with me. The, the best. We saved the best for last. We know these people. You ready? How many people know a hypocrite? How many people are a hypocrite? Hey, me too. Guess what? This is the biggest thing I hear about Christians. Guess what? We got room for one more. I mean, that is what it is. Like, hypocrite, hypocrite. We got hypocrites in our life. So we, we've talked about all these people in our life. We've talked about people who control our life. We've talked about the needy people in our life. We've talked about the critic in our life. Now we're talking about the hypocrite in our life. And this is the one... This is the one that we seem to hear the most of in the church, don't we? I'm not coming to church with you. It's just a bunch of hypocrites. Yeah, we are. But I'm going to tell you what. <laughs> I'm going to tell you what, where I know the people that are in this room right now and the people that aren't here this week, maybe they're on vacation and don't get to be here. It comes from the Greek word for someone who hides behind a mask or hides behind a veil or hides behind a, hides, hides behind a filter, <laughs> hides behind a screen. That's somebody in our life that does that. The hypocrite in our life will do that. It's exactly what they'll do. And here's the thing that I know about people here. We are committed to 100% giving ourselves to each other here. Full self. Full self. 
And the person that's giving you the excuse about the hypocrite in the church and the hypocrite about hanging out with you aren't giving you their full self. They want you to see the best of them. They want you to see the best social media post, right? They want you to see the one that has the most likes. They want you to see the best of them. So if you're dealing with a hypocrite in your life, what does that look like? James 5, verse 19 through 20 says this, my brothers and sisters, one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back. Remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their ways will save them from death and cover a multitude of sins. So when you're dealing with the hypocrite in your life, I want you to know this. Number one, confront with restoration. Confront with restoration. You see, the difference is what happens when James is talking about here, when the brothers and sisters, if you, want, if you help someone come back to Jesus and you turn them from the air of their way. See, when Peter called Jesus aside at the beginning, he rebuked him in isolation, Right? If he would have come and confronted him with restoration, it would have been a completely different story. When you're dealing with a hypocrite in your life, you've got to confront with restoration. We've got to know that there's restoration that can take place. Our goal isn't to be right. That's the hardest part. Who likes being wrong? <laughs> uh, I don't. It's the control freak in me. I'm sorry. Our goal is not to be right, but to point people to Jesus with grace and truth. You know, the other thing about the hypocrite is you call them out one-on-one. You don't stand there in front of everybody and call them out, tell them how wrong they are, tell them what they did. That's not what God called you to do. You bring them to the side one-on-one, and you know that this relationship matters more than me being right. And you know what? Whenever I've got to talk to somebody where I don't feel that things are right or there's just something off kilter, and I'll be the first to say, hey, some don't feel right. I just want to get ahead of it before, before it gets out of control. There's nothing wrong with that. And the hypocrite in your life will probably fight you back on that. But somebody who understands will come back to you and say, hey, we're good, right? Or no, you know what? Actually, we're not. There's something you said to me three weeks ago uh, about my toenails. I had just got them done, right? Like you said they were the wrong color, right? And that made me mad. Like, right? Those kind of things will happen in our life. We got to understand we confront with restoration because it's about building relationships And the second thing on this, and this is the hard part because we all raised our hand. I saw hands go up everywhere. We gotta see where we're a hypocrite ourselves. We're dealing with a hypocrite. I'm a hypocrite. We all are. We don't have it together. You wanna know if I'm a hypocrite? Let me get called by every red light dropping the trailer off this afternoon. You'll find out how much of a hypocrite I am. Please, Jesus, don't let this red light. Jesus, if you love me, it'll be green all the way through, right? That's hypocritical. Jesus loves me regardless of those red lights, guys. He loves you regardless of that, right? But yeah, so many times in our lives, we have to understand, like Paul said, we're the chief sinner. I'm the chief sinner. I don't have it together. I'm in need of the saving grace of Jesus, just like the person who's the hypocrite. He's telling me how wrong I am. Who's telling me how messed up I am. So here we go. Going back to that at the beginning. Ephesians 3, verse 14 through 21, as we get ready to wrap up, says this. Remember what I told you to highlight, or maybe you keep up when you're talking about dealing with difficult people. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you, with power through his spirit and your inner being so that Christ may dwell in you and your hearts through faith. Family, church. When Christ is the center, when Jesus is the center of what we do, 
there's power. There's so many great things that happen when he's the center of our life. Even with difficult people, they see that. They see something's different about you. There's just something about you, right? And I pray being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people. It's the beauty of Jesus to grasp how wide, how long, how high, and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know that this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Anytime I'm not filled to the fullness of God, I'm empty. And sometimes I might be empty and I'm relying on Jesus wholeheartedly, yes. But because I stand up here with a microphone, this is not what God made me to be. He made me to be a child of his and take step by step with him. This is just what I get to do and being the gift that he gives me. But whether I did this or not doesn't matter. I just have to be obedient to what God's called me to be step by step. So my relationship with him, my quiet time with him, my, my, my community with people around me matter more than whether I stand up here or not. And when we have that together, we get to live this life that is immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So if you're dealing with difficult people in your life, Billy Graham says it so well. And man, it's just always latched on to me. It's God's job to judge. The Holy Spirit's job to convict my job to love that's it God will be the judge of other people the Holy Spirit will convict myself and others when I do wrong it's just my job to love God and love others how easy is that sometimes we overcomplicate that though don't we we've got degrees of love and we got to separate it out but even when we're dealing with difficult people in our life know what we're called to do love God and love others. Now, one of the things I talked about was being rooted and established in God. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. Romans 14 says it this way. We talked about it earlier. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Why do you treat them with contempt? For we will stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will acknowledge God. So then each will give an account of ourselves to God. See, God's promise is true and his word is true. All of us are difficult people. All of us are sinners in need of a savior. And God's promise is this. One day, every knee will bow before him and acknowledge God. But here's the thing. We get a chance to do it this side of eternity or on the other side. For those that take advantage of it on this side of eternity, we'll dwell with him forevermore. We will be in heaven forevermore. But when we get on the other side of eternity, it's too late. It's absolutely too late because we can be burning in hell and declaring him for, to be the Lord and, compare, and, and can, saying that he is God, but it's too late. It's too late. So if we're looking at difficult people in our life and we're trying to figure out why we're a difficult person, maybe it's because we don't have a relationship with Jesus. Maybe it's because we've never confessed him as Lord of our life this side of eternity because we're trying to live the best we can for ourselves now and say, we'll get, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. We'll get to saying Jesus is Lord later. Well, your later might be too late. And so today, this is why we do everything that we do. Because we know that God's promise is true. We can live the full measure of his love. We can live the full measure that all he's called us to be. 
But one day, one day, every knee will bow and every tongue will say he's Lord. We exist right here now so that you have the opportunity to declare him Lord of your life on this side of eternity, not on the other side. So as we stand up here at the end, we're about to say a prayer. Uh, everybody's gonna be praying in this house and then we're gonna do a worship song, but we say this prayer every week for the benefit of those who are coming to Jesus for the first time is this. Listen, all of us have one thing in common. We're difficult people, we're sinners in need of a savior. Because of the sin in our life, we deserve death. We don't deserve life. We don't deserve hope. But God loved us enough that he sent his only son to live the perfect life we couldn't live, die the death that we deserved, but loved us enough not to stay dead. He rose again on the third day, and he gives us the power of the Holy Spirit through that so that we can live life and live it to the full, and we can comprehend how deep, how wide, how long, how high his love is for us. And the only way that we can comprehend it is if we have a relationship with him. And so with every head bow and every eye closed here, we're going to say a prayer, and this is your chance to declare Jesus as Lord of your life. So I'm going to ask everyone with every head bowed, every eye closed to repeat after me this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe I'm a sinner separated from you. I believe you lived the life I couldn't live, died the death that I deserve on the cross, but loved me enough not to stay dead, but rose again, on the third day so that I may have life. Come take over my life. Teach me to follow you step by step the rest of my life the best way I know how. With every head bow and every eye closed, I'm gonna count to three. And if that's you, and this is the first time you can say on this side of eternity that you've declared Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I'm gonna ask you to respond. One, two, three. If that's you, and you can say on this side of eternity that you have declared Jesus as your Savior. If you're watching online, if you're watching online, this is your chance. This is your opportunity. There are people here that want to wrap their arms around you, want to show you the love of Christ, be the love of Christ, and work with you for what Jesus has called you to do. But the thing is, you've just got to respond. You've got to believe with faith that Jesus is who he says he is. Because every difficult person in your life, you're never going to be able to control you're never going to need them enough. You're never going to be able to criticize them enough. And you're never going to be able to tell them what they aren't enough in your life. But with Christ Jesus, they can have more. And with Christ Jesus in your life, you can experience the more. So if that's you, I'm begging you to respond today. We're going to pray, and I'm going to ask everybody to go ahead and lift their head up, and then we're going to get ready to do this last song of worship. And I'm going to pray, and we're going to get after it. So Jesus, thank you for this day. Thank you for this opportunity that you love the difficult person like me. I pray that today all that we do, we would see where you are moving in our life and moving in the lives of others, that we would see that we're all difficult people in need of you and that every difficult person you place in our life is for our benefit and for your glory and that if we point them to you, Jesus, and we leave the results up to you, if we just love them, just love them the way you've called to, Jesus, you're going to do something incredible. Because in the end, you want it to be well with our soul. And when we sing this song, Jesus, it's not about us. It's not about an emotion. It's not about a feeling. It's about truth. And with you, Jesus, it is well with my soul. We love you, Lord. It's your name we pray. Amen.
You know, maybe I would be crazy and remiss to think that maybe you can't say today as well with your soul. Maybe today we talked about difficult people and maybe you've just been going through a difficult circumstance and you just need to talk about it. You know, there are people here who want to talk with you. If you're watching online, you can reach out to us at 864-580-6698. I said six. Don't call 680. It'd be messed up. Sorry. 580-6698 or even prayer at divine.tv. You know, we have a team of people throughout the week that pray over each and every request that comes in. And not only that, they want to respond back to you. They want to walk with you through this season. So maybe you need to talk to somebody today. Don't let it go by without doing that because we want you to say each and every week, it is well with my soul. We want you to leave here wherever you are. Maybe you're watching this in the middle of the week. We want you to be better when you get away from here and when you leave this message than how you walked in. So we say this, one way we do that each and every week inside of this house is we lock arms and we put our arms around each other and we let everybody know that we love them because we're family. And family sticks together. Family locks arms with each other and family's got it. Even when we difficult people, we stick together, right? Praise God for that. Let us, uh, let us pray. Jesus, thank you for this day. Thank you for this opportunity. Jesus, we, we don't... We don't deserve to get to do this, but somehow you let us be a part of it. We know that there are stories that you are writing us into right now that we don't even know, but we are taking step-by-step step of obedience faithfully to do what you've called us to do because we know that on the other side of obedience is always blessing. And where there's blessing, Jesus, there's more of you. So I pray that right now, we would experience the more of you like never before, that we would see more of you than ever before. Right now, maybe we're in the middle of a difficult circumstance. Jesus, I pray that we would experience the more because the life that's immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine is always rooted inside of you. And when we're rooted inside of you, we can't help but love. So Jesus, let us do that this week. Let us do that each and every day. Bring us back here safely next week. We love you, Lord. We can't wait to continue to make your name more famous. Jesus, thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Hang out with us next week. We continue to ask for it with a great question. Are we in the end times? Can't wait to hang out with you. Come see us next week.